Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This is a podcast that focuses on helping you develop your career as a faculty member. Our goal is to spark your enthusiasm and passion in one of our four main pillars of development. Creativity and humanism, scholarly practice, leadership, and of course, teaching and supervision. Throughout this podcast, we're aiming to bring you insightful and inspiring conversations that spark your interests and open up your mind to new ways to grow as a faculty member. Okay, have we sparked your interest yet? Let's get started with this month's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mac PFD Spark. As always, I have two really amazing guests that I wanted to tell you about. And the first is Dr. Robert Fleissig. He's been on the show before and we brought him back for a second episode that's going to focus a little bit more on the idea of creativity and where that belongs in this house of healthcare. And also more specifically, how it might help us look towards the future and find solutions for some of the problems we have. And then secondly, I'd like to welcome in a new guest to the show, Dr. Emma Apatu. And Emma is someone who's been doing some amazing work around public health, something that's at the front of minds for many of us these days. And she's going to be talking a little bit about their public health program that they have here, the MPH program that we're very proud of here in the Faculty of Health Sciences. So listen up. Hello, everyone. I'm back with my friend Robert Fleissig. He's been on this podcast before. And so you might know he's an engineering prof with really heavy interest in design thinking. But design thinking is a really creative thing. And so I brought him back to have a great conversation with me about creativity and where it belongs in academia and specifically in the health sciences because he's been doing a lot of stuff that intersects with what we do. He's been partnering with hospitals like St. Joseph's Hospital Healthcare in Hamilton. And I thought that he could just kind of talk to us a little bit about creativity and why we need it. Robert, take it away. <laughs> Thank you, Teresa. There's, there's so much to say on this subject. Uh, oh my and, gosh, definitely. Uh, yeah. uh, and and, and, and my, my understanding and thinking of it and understanding of it over the years has changed tremendously. Okay. Uh, but, but one, one of the kind of key things that, that I've learned over the last few years is thinking about creativity, not as a, as a point in time or an event, but rather as a way of thinking or what sometimes mm. call a mindset. So going yeah. through and working with people in a creative mindset and being creative, not just here or there, but it's something that is almost like a state of mind. Uh, and mm. it's not meant to, to set, set aside or usurp your other ways of thinking. I mean, I'm trained as an engineer and engi an engineering researcher. You're trained as a, as a medical doctor. And we have ways that we've, we've learned through, through our professional development or professional training and education. But mm -hmm. this sort of works on top of that. Okay. The creativity, yeah. especially the way we do it in design thinking, is really a creativity around human experience. So it's, it's, and what that kind of does is, is human experience is something that's common to all of us. It's something that we share. It's not, not doesn't belong to anyone, doesn't belong to any discipline. Mm -hmm. And so if we can all talk about human experience in a creative way, we have a common way of looking at things in a common language and a common way of working together. Yeah, I love it. It really fosters that interdisciplinarism that for the researchers that are listening, you want on your grants, that uh, for the clinicians that you want in, in the spaces, right? Like to be able to involve architects or engineers or, or even the IT people, because that's really yeah. where we need them, um, it's about the user experience. I think that that really, really helps. So I love that idea. It may, makes me remind me of like being a mindset 
I think that I read a book about something called Creative Confidence was the name of the title yes. of the book. And can you speak a little bit about that concept? Because I mean, I love the book. Um, it's by two brothers who do design thinking kind of founded the, or rekindled the discipline and maybe made it more mainstream. But I, I really like that idea of that, that book's title. Can you speak to that a little bit? Creative confidence is, is very much related to creative, creative mindsets and thinking. And it's a set of, if you like, uh, skills and capabilities that, uh, that you can develop as a creative individual that help you, well, help you be more creative, help you be a bit of a design thinker. So as some, and some of those are really kind of uh, odd, odd learnings, if you like. So for example, one of the things that we teach students is, and this is, this is really quite a, this is a learning outcome, is uh, how to navigate in ambiguity. So we're especially trained from the, in the STEM fields as trying to eliminate risk and ambiguity as quickly as possible. But for in a creative space, we want people to stay and actually stew in the ambiguity for a while, to actually be comfortable with it and to use it as an opportunity for exploration and not simply for decision making. And so this, this, is a, this is a very tough thing to learn. And it goes against the grain for many of us that really are, are really so good at going the other way of kind of converging on solutions and not just not playing with things. And I want, I want people who learn, who are learning, people who are learning how to, how to design and how to be a bit more creative we want to start learning how to play with the ideas, how to enjoy that, how not to worry about where it's going to end up, but look for the, that aha moment, that insight, the, the great connections that you can make by both working with people and thinking in particular ways. All right. So that's, that's a really succinct way to think about it. And so where does creativity belong in kind of our jobs as faculty? Like, where do you see it fitting? So, so many places. I mean, I see it. First of all, I mean, there's obviously for, for us as, as a faculty in our educational roles, there's plenty of room for creativity, first of all, in the classroom, creating more positive uh, student experiences without, you know, in any way of play, playing down or, or, or uh, losing on the educational side of things. And I think as faculty, we, we're, we're unusually privileged. We have tremendous latitude for what we can do as faculty and access to tremendous resources if we ask and ask the right way. And I think there is just huge opportunity for us as faculty to do things that other people simply couldn't, uh, to take on new initiatives, to try new things, and to share those with our colleagues uh, who are interested and willing and to build communities. And I think community, sorry, community building uh, is, is essentially at its very heart, a very creative practice. We're trying to find ways of engaging other people in new experiences that benefit them and us and really are centered around the growth of, 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 of us as, as professionals and, and individuals. Yeah, I think it really helps us, especially in today's zeitgeist. I mean, we're recording this during the pandemic the Black Lives Matters movement is abreast. The Me Too movement is kind of still resonating with us. And I think that all those movements kind of really have come to bear kind of the inequities and the perspectives that mm -hmm. maybe sometimes we're not privileged and like we're so privileged that we didn't actually take into account. So I think that design thinking can also be an answer to a lot of those problems. They're so, we call them wicked problems, right? Like so, so they're so big that it's hard to wrap your head around them and you could just because it's so big, just give up and say, I'm not going to even try. But I think that when you center around one person's experience and then think about another person's experience, yeah. that's a lot more tangible. And I think that that's where design and creativity and all that stuff could really center us on the people that are the end of, rather than seeing yeah. this giant system. Yeah, and, and, and it's really, it's really, one of the things we teach is something called the childlike mindset. 
when we go into a, into a, a situation where perhaps we're trying to learn about what, let's say, patients currently experience, we want to go in there without, without our blinders and our biases and our prejudices, trying to set those aside and try to, to learn about the situation, the people, the context, what they think and what they feel uh, with, without the blinders on. And, and that's actually hard to learn. Uh, but it can be incredibly insightful and valuable in developing new and creative solutions. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I don't know, like that, uh, that five-year-old kid that used to be daring and just paint anything, sing anything, right? Like, I think that that's where that comes from, is that reminding us of that person who didn't worry that there were, there were lines of suggestions on the coloring book, but <laughs> you have to really color inside them. I was that kid that yeah. colored inside them for sure. But like, you know, like my brother would be all over the place. He he would definitely yeah. break every rule in the household in, at times. And, and I feel like that's a creative genius that we lose as we um, come into yeah. and as yeah. we raise ourselves in academia because there's more and more rules and more and more regulations. And can I well, really say this or that or do this or that? We're really trained well to take a look at data and tell, get the data to tell us something. And design thinking is almost sort of the opposite. It's as to actually go, is to take a look at a situation uh, and imagine what isn't there, to ask the what if question, to push beyond what's, what's accepted and, and what perhaps even logical, and try to challenge by asking that, uh, what we sometimes call an abductive question is, what if we did it this way? What if we looked at, what if we changed that and see where that takes us? The essence of creativity is, is that asking the what if question, the abductive question, taking yeah. you where, where you haven't been before, rather than letting the data lead us to something we want. So I, my, my students like to ask, they kind of go, oh, we're going to build something for someone. Let's go ask them what they want. I go back to them and say, what I want to train them is to not to ask the people what they want, but you want to go in and talk to the people and understand what their deepest desires are and design for that. And that's a much less direct route and a lot more difficult but it gets down to something much more fundamental about who we are and designing something that is much more valuable because we have a deeper understanding of the people we're creating for. And the tradition of design thinking, when I've mapped them back, they come from architects, anthropologists, sociologists, people coming from some of the disciplines that you and I may not have encountered very much during our training, yeah. but that are essential to understanding how the world works, right? Like there is some really, really cool work that's done by having someone just follow along a team. One of my friends and colleagues who's just finishing her or, or finished her residency now, Eve Purdy, she's a doc at Queen's University and, and she went to do a master's in anthropology for that exact reason because there's so much you can do from observing and doing those ethnographic studies to really understand it. She's really brought it into the operations sim world where they're just doing some really cool stuff. She's going to be doing a fellowship in, in Australia to really do that more, but she's written some papers. She's definitely worth checking out if you're a clinician and wants to know how this kind of all plays out. But definitely like she's my archetype for people who, who might bring those worlds together and really come at this from a qualitative lens to take that data, even though it's not in the, you know, the quote unquote hierarchy of evidence and it's yeah. not numbers, doesn't mean that it can't tell us something very useful about the human experience. And I think design thinking gives us a structure and a disciplined approach to take that data that we might not otherwise use and use it in a, in a very structured, rigorous way. Because design thinking has its process and it has its rules in the same way a systematic review or an RCT has its rules and it has its regulations. So I think that it gives you some of that structure back that you need when you're diving into the space for the first time. I think the really exciting thing here is bringing together people with deep technical and disciplinary expertise 
in a creative way through design thinking. Again, it's, it's, one is not meant to supplant the other. The whole idea here is to use design thinking to bring together the knowledge we have in new and creative ways. And I think that's where the magic is. Yeah, definitely. And you need that confidence in your creative self. Maybe you have to rediscover that inner kid. Maybe you have to do other things, but it's definitely worthwhile trying because I think this gets you out of yourself. And I think sometimes we have the high drama of the way that we see the world and just really diving deep into someone else's perspective, whether it's through a narrative resin workshop, or maybe it's, this is more functional for some people is it's more tangible is to, understand what it means to be a, a patient in your clinic. Right. It might be to understand what the journey is for, you know, a visitor who comes to visit the hospital or can't right now because of restrictions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How can we, how might we, like you said, redesign that, those experiences and make them just a little bit better for those people and then do it again and do it again and think through systems that then actually can respond to the call to arms, be the systems we need, because they, they are literally built with everyone in mind, but everyone, one, well, maybe one more groups of people at a time, right? Like, and I think that that's a really cool way to, to, to go through life is to get out of your own head and, and start trying to understand and empathize with others. Uh, that's, that's the essence of it, yes. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and you got a lot, I'm like my mind is just racing right now. I'm, ho I'm sure a lot of other uh, listeners are doing the same thing. So thank you so much for blowing our minds again. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. See you next time. Wow, that was a really awesome first segment of the Mac PFD Spark podcast. And now on to our second segment. Hello, everyone. My name is Tracy Chan, and I'm here with a new friend of mine, but she's a rising star in the Faculty of Health Sciences. Her name is Dr. Emma Apatu. Say hi, Emma. Hi, all. All right. So Emma is the director of the Masters of Public Health program, and she is just a phenomenal thinker and just a creative educator. And I thought I'd bring her to the show to just have a chat with her about her process of designing things because she's been starting up our master's program here basically from the ground up, right, Emma? First, thank you, Teresa, for that really nice introduction. I really love all the work that you're doing with faculty development. So the, the MPH program at McMaster, it's approximately five years old, and I've come in to help move the program to its next phase of excellence. All right. So, so you didn't start it up, but you are kind of like the natural first kind of successor to try to like move it into the, the stratosphere, let's say. Exactly. All right. Okay, cool. So, so that's good. That means that you like you had one predecessor that kind of like carved it out and, and now you're kind of like moving it on. That's great. Dr. Fran Scott, an amazing local public health practitioner. She launched the grant. So it sounds like you got handed over a pretty solid program that you're you're hoping to make even better. Uh, what what have you been doing to to try to take hold of what's been done before, and then how do you decide when you're going to make the next step of improving something, or if you keep keep it the way it's supposed to be? So yeah, the program here it's fantastic, and one of the major reasons is our faculty. So we have core faculty that passionately teach in the program, as well as lead large research programs around life course epidemiology. Dr. Anderson um, does a lot of amazing work in that area. Dr. Liz Alvarez does amazing international policy and interdisciplinary public health work. So 
working with such great faculty, uh, I try to listen to to them to to hear about what's working, what's not. Uh, in addition, our students, right? They're one of our most important stakeholders, and they provide a lot of great feedback. So, when I came in. I did a lot of engagement uh, activities with those stakeholders. In addition, we brought in an external stakeholder from the Boston School of Public Health who gave us some really neat ideas around the new mission and vision for our program. And we're currently in the phase where we are building out our program to follow that mission and vision. Well, that's interesting, right? Like the idea of having a mission and vision for your program. Like,、um, I think that not everyone always has the luxury of the time to do that, especially programs that maybe have an application cycle that's very rapid. But it sounds like it's been useful for you to have those touch points and touch stones to try to figure out how how to go forward. Is that is that why you're doing it, or what does it give you? Like, if you're trying to talk to people who haven't done that in a while or ever, why would someone want to do that? Yeah, so you know, a number of health-related programs have accrediting bodies or you know guidance from some sort of maybe federal level. So for us in Canada, we try to follow guidance from the Public Health Agency of Canada, and in that guidance, they mention that MPH programs should have a mission. So we're a generous program. That's what we've been approved for. So we we stick with that. But our mission, our new mission now, centers around preparing future public health leaders to identify and employ evidence-informed thinking to solving emerging and pressing health challenges locally, nationally, internationally, in meaningful, responsible, and equitable ways. So this this mission is very powerful. It, it helps to. Set the tone for new programming. It also helps us in our discussions around the development of new goals and objectives for the program. And especially too, you know, during this time of a pandemic, we've seen so many issues been uncovered, right? And this mission statement helps us figure out like what our place is, and in, in in terms of training public health leaders. Yeah, I think that right now public health is kind of one of those really hot topics. It's like, you know, like my specialty, which is emergency medicine, had a TV show, you know, like in the '90s about it, and so everyone wanted to be an emergency doc for a while. But like right now, everyone I think wants to be a public health officer because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's become the new thing, right? So anyway, but like to be honest, I think it's quite interesting to see the evolution of this field, especially since we finally clued in that's so important, right? So. Um, yeah, I think that it'll be really interesting to see where public health goes in the next in, in the next bit. So, what are some of your thoughts for the the future of you know education in in this realm? I think that we're seeing in my in my mind there's some some trends that I'm seeing. I'm seeing more and more people who already have an MD going back and doing a, a master's of public health. I'm seeing more and more professionalization of certain kind of like research work, such as like the HRM or the MPH programs, being a way for people to gain those research skills. What do you see being the role of kind of like a master's level public health program being in the house of, you know, like all of the work that we do? Where does it where does it fit? Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. Like. Public health, actually, you know, I would say many, many years ago, a lot of folks probably would have said, "What is public health?" Right, and a lot of folks now are obviously attuned to it. And I think public health will be at the forefront of of many discussions、um, at various levels moving forward. 
And as such, um, we're going to have to think about training programs and graduate level training is going to be really important, right, in, in responding to what the needs are. I think we, we're going to see, and we're seeing it already, and a lot of technological shifts, right? So I think we're going to need folks that can use data to, to model, you know, make predictions around certain disease outcomes and, and situations. We're going to need folks in the medical profession that can look at things with a public health lens. So I just think that the field is just going to grow even more. Yeah, I think so. And I think that we're looking at uh, public health maybe needing to also look different now, right? Um, I think we're realizing, especially with pandemics and things like that, you can't just, how can I put it? We can't just expect like a flyer or a poster on a wall to have an efficacy now. I think the world has changed so much with the advent of everything from TikTok all the way through to definitely Twitter. You know, like a lot of the docs, that's where they're getting the information. A lot of the politicians, that's where they're getting the information and people, right? And so, you know, if you want 20-somethings to wear masks, you probably need to be hitting TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and not Twitter or LinkedIn or or emailing people because it's probably not working, right? So it's going to be interesting to see the evolution of that going forward. Totally agree. And in, in our NPH program, we have a professional development studio series. And in that series, um, the first part, learners learn about evidence-informed decision-making, project management, and communication. Learners understand how to craft various messaging for different modes of, of technology. I think that's going to be really important. And then another one of our program strengths in our department as a whole is knowledge translation and policy and research methods. So I think our, our program is, I'm really excited about our future. Oh, that's really cool. So what you're saying is that like your traditional grad school programming, you're augmenting it with I guess, grad student development, kind of like we do faculty development, you know, kind of like pre-faculty development, maybe we'll call it. <laughs> uh, it sounds like that's what you're doing, right? Like you're giving, you're unpacking the, the, the behind the scenes work that makes science work and the jobs that we do work and doing that on the side. Yeah. And I think, you know, you asked the question about like, what is kind of, where's public health going to be like in the future with, with respect to like other health professions. And I think, with all, like all programs pretty much in Canada, at least, are pretty much online. And I think moving forward, we're really going to have to prove our value to our students. And I think what that's going to be is jobs. Does your program really make us ready for the workforce? Like, yeah, in a perfect world, like technically, yes, the program should, but we're really making sure that our, our program will prepare students for jobs in the future. Yes, for sure. I mean, I think that that's going to be interesting, right? Because as there's new media, it's going to be interesting to see how we train people at the new workforce, right? Like, I didn't know I needed to learn how to do podcasting, but lo, here we are, right? And I do think that the skills are evolving and things are constantly changing. So I think having some flexibility in a curriculum, whether it's a residency curriculum, a nursing curriculum, faculty level kind of orientation to it, how, how, how can we carve out time for people to do that continuous professional development that's not the usual content expertise? And then learning the skills that you need to survive in the new world. I think we're probably all cycling around the same thing. So it's really, really cool what you're doing. Because I think that, you know, like I'll pay more attention to steal from your playbook. <laughs> we all know you have a wide one. So definitely be peeking. Oh, 
it's all good. We can cross pollinate. We can link up. I think that's going to be the other part of it too, is that how do we close some of the silos, right? How do we actually reach out and say, Hey, the libraries are redoing this stuff. Do you have to do it too? Or should we just link up and cross promote? And I think that's going to be the, a, a huge game changer as we, as we carve ourselves forward. Right? So obviously if you're interested in any of the stuff that we're doing, your students are a hundred percent our future faculty. So they should jump online and come to our, our free content. We always welcome learners to our events. Sometimes we even have them co-design the events with us and sometimes they're speakers in our events and definitely they're uh, totally allowed to come and just hang out with us because it's a, the, a cool thing to do. At least that's what I hope they think. <laughs> But yeah, if it's a topic that you love uh, and you're a learner listening to this podcast, like obviously it's not a faculty only podcast. We, we love that you're interested in this work and maybe someday you'll be amongst our ranks. So we're happy to invest in you now. We're happy to have you watch any of our web content because it's the right thing to do and it's out there in the world. And we're a hundred percent happy if you show up to our events and want to learn alongside your faculty members. So definitely, unless there's a restriction based on like, you know, sometimes there's certain programming that's only for certain kinds of faculty or certain groups of faculty, like programs program directors and stuff like that. Obviously don't come to those because we might not let you in, but uh, for any of the other open content for Mac PFD content, you're, you're generally welcome. So pass that along to your students and any of the educators listening, pass that along to your students because uh, yeah, I think we all grow better if we learn together. Yeah. And again, like, thank you for being so open and receptive, like thinking of innovative ways to not only connect with faculty, but also students as well. Like I know that our students have reached out to your office around virtual conference planning, right? So I, I really like how you're creating this community of support, which is great. Yeah. And it's not just me. It's like everyone else I think is coming together. We just needed a place and space and maybe COVID-19 to force us all to actually start collaborating. So no, it's been interesting to see as, as people start connecting and, and finding those synergies. It's been really interesting to see all of our work evolve. So kudos to you for uh, doing a great job at uh, taking your program to the next level and c continue to share your secrets with the world. And I love that you were able to come on the podcast with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Teresa. This has been great. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. Just so you know, this podcast has been brought to you by the McMaster Faculty of Health Sciences and specifically the Office of Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development. If you're interested in finding out more about what we can offer for faculty development, check out our website at www.macpfd.ca. That's www.macpfd.ca. Many of our events are actually web events that are free. Finally, I'd like to thank our sound engineer, Mr. Nick Hoskin, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Thanks so much, Nick, for all that you do. And also thank you to Scott Holmes for supplying us the music that you've been listening to. All right, so until next time, this is Mac PFD Spark signing off.